0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. It's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben fulks Ben, we spent much of yesterday on into this morning trapped in the polar vortex. Is, is what we had
1: really the polar vortex? We would have to be at the edges of the polar vortex.
0: It would it certainly be a delayed polar vortex, yeah. if indeed it was a polar vortex. It
1: could have also just been... Early February in Montana.
0: That's true, because like a week ago, I was walking around looking at uh, the dead grass all over my yard, uncovered by the melted snow, thinking, I guess we're not going to get much of a winter this year. And then yesterday, I watched my neighbor's garbage can blow down the middle of the street as uh, I was peering out the window, hoping that the giant tree in my side yard didn't blow over and fall on my house.
1: Yeah, I had to save a uh, princess castle that was outside on my back deck and it was like, well, that's going to go flying by somebody's window here if I don't act fast. Uh, brought the princess castle inside, added surprise bonus, frozen cat vomit in there. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: That is uh, that is a bonus. We were trapped inside most of yesterday, Super Bowl Sunday, as you can see, uh, by the addition of the giant play fort, which yeah. is in our living room. It's a pretty,
1: pretty decent fort, it's honestly.
0: A, it's a burly play fort. Uh, we decided to set it up because, uh, We had nothing else to do. It was kind of like Frontierland around here yesterday, albeit with streaming television shows and then a football game.
1: Right. So did you actually watch the football game?
0: I watched part of it. Yeah. We watched uh, some of the second half on there to the end, and to be honest with you, it didn't really look like we missed much, just judging by the score, the overall score of the game.
1: Yeah. I got my snack on, the most important thing, uh, and then I wound up playing uh, paper dolls for much of the, much of the football game and uh, didn't really seem like I'm really going to regret that decision.
0: I had not watched, it's probably inaccurate to say I had not watched one second of NFL football earlier in the season, but I had definitely not watched a game. I had probably not watched a, a quarter. I don't even know if I had watched a complete series. So that was as much football, professional football at least, as I got all year. You know, when and again, since the Patriots won the Super Bowl, it doesn't look like I missed yeah, much.
1: You could you could just fill that one in yeah. at the start of the season. Um, the thing that still bothering me today is the halftime show.
0: Oh, I saw a little bit of that. Uh saw a little bit of Maroon 5 and it was as bad as everyone expected it it's to be, I guess. It's just so goddamn boring. Here's the thing that I saw. A guy came out of the sky in a comet <laughs> and started rapping. <laughs> yeah, okay. I have no idea who it was even to this to this moment.
1: You've done he, zero work to find out.
0: No, he he rode down in a damn comet, and then did the quote unquote rapping of today, today's style of rapping. Well, I here's how out of touch I am with the culture
1: and the the pop music. I guess if you can still call Maroon Five that is like I heard Maroon Five is going to be the halftime show, and a voice in my head went, "Okay, I, I'm kind of sure they suck." but I couldn't that, tell you.
0: Is that the one with Bob Dylan's kid in the band? Is that Maroon 5? <laughs> and hey, that's Five? the
1: Wildflowers, yeah. or Wallflowers.
0: Wow, wallflowers. Wallflowers, yeah. yeah. Is that? Am I thinking of Jamiroquai right now? I mean, we should have been so lucky
1: as to get Jacob Dylan out there. And instead, as soon as they would sing a song, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember like kind of hating that when it was on the radio all the time. And then the dude is insisting on taking his shirt off to show us, like, I'm, I am edgy, look at all these tattoos. And you're just like, man... I'm sure this seemed really cool in your head when you were plotting it all out. But it's it's not even cool enough for me to feel worried about my kids seeing it. <laughs> you know? Like that you're you're if you want to have a successful Super Bowl halftime show, we should at least be the next day talking about whether it went too far in some direction and said this is just too stupid.
0: Well, I understand that big boy from Outcast showed up wearing a wool or a fur coat, but at that point I had already kind of checked out. So I, I missed
1: that. It just I was disappointed that he he stooped so low as to be involved in this.
0: Something tells me if the check has enough zeros on it, Big but Boy is going to show that's up.
1: That's how they ended up with Maroon 5 in the first place, man, is they tried to get so many other acts, and so many people turned them down, saying, like, oh, we're standing in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, uh, and or we don't like, you know, the way the NFL has been treating players who kneel and all that stuff. And so, so many people turned them down, you end up with Maroon
0: 5. What was the final score? 10-3? I think it was 10-3. Or 13-3? Something like that? Sure. I tell you what, if your final score in the Super Bowl is 13 3, that makes me feel like you could find a place for Colin Kaepernick.
1: <laughs> just say. <saying. laughs> wow. You were getting into just saying something at
0: the top of the show? <laughs> That's a special day. Remember, if you want to support the Co Main Event podcast, you got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t shirts and Dundasso t shirts available all, all the time on demand whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. New music alert. This week, our music comes from longtime listener and friend of the show, Ross Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on today's episode, you can check out more over at his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-R-A-S. Wait. I don't know how I'm supposed to say that, but that's what it is. i
1: is. We've never had music from Ross Jarborg. No, that's why we? I said
0: new music alert at the beginning of the thing.
1: What? What kind of uh, music does he make? Can you give me a like a description?
0: It's like instrumental kind of synth. I don't want to say synth pop because I don't know if that's right, but it's it's going to bring a different vibe to this show. Let's just say that for now.
1: Okay. So is it a good thing that I ate a bunch of mushrooms before I came over? Yeah, here? you're going okay. to love it. All right. I was going to do it either way, but I'm glad to know that at least it's in keeping with the theme.
0: I know. I know you were going to eat a bunch of mushrooms before you came over. We all knew that. You didn't have to point that out. It's Monday. Mushroom Monday. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, UFC Fight Night 144 was truly an event where everybody got to do their stuff. The questions now are who will be the next recipient of Marlon Marais' stuff and how much stuff does Jose Aldo have left to give? And in round number two, that sounded grosser than I meant it to. Who will be the recipient of Marlon Marais' stuff?
1: You know... What are the chances that our audience would be inclined to take it in that
0: direction? (laughs) You're
1: right. The dignified people that they are. You're
0: right. Round number two, the Octagon heads to Australia this weekend with a UFC 234 main event featuring hometown hero Bobby Knuckles defending his middleweight title against Kelvin Gastelum. What could possibly go wrong? And in round number three, speaking of things going wrong, they're really going to toss Anderson Silva into the Sarlacc pit known as Israel Adesanya at this same event. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Josh in Virginia. Now, you got to pay attention here because he did something clever.
1: Yes, no, this is clever.
0: He writes, ESPN plus event pacing faster than Dom Cruz's faints. Stephen A. Smith, mercifully gone. This is a bulleted list, by the way. Yes, it is. The fight details displayed on the app during each bout, tale of the tape, et et cetera, when held in portrait orientation. I believe that means you turn your phone sideways, right? People really watching this stuff on a phone? I don't know, man. Kids. These kids these days, they're crazy. Uh, Michael Bisping saying, quote, there we go, 11,000 times. That's under the plus category? Here's a list listed as ESPN minus. (laughs) I get Uh, it. See what he did there?
1: Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Another bulleted list. Number one, what the fuck is going on with all these ads in all caps? Number two, no more Trevor Whitman? Number three, seriously, I am paying how much for all these fucking ads? Number three, can we maybe see more of the corner coaching between rounds? And number five, please don't send me notifications of who won the split decision 10 seconds before it airs on the stream, okay? Then he asks, what say you guys? So, Ben. Some of this stuff
1: makes you think people are having a different view like viewing experience than I am. Maybe it's different on the phone. Yeah,
0: it must be. Cause have I would try it. Okay. I've not watched any on my phone.
1: Cause I guess you'd have to, like they might, if you download the app or whatever, and you're watching on your phone Then they will send you notifications and stuff, which I could see how that would be kind of a downer. Because you know, your stream might be lagging a little bit, and yeah. I get the notification that says like split decision win. Well, I'm watching them standing there, like with the ref holding them each by the wrist. Yeah.
0: Or if you're trying to avoid spoilers, right? You're not watching it as it happens, but you're, you're kind of you feel safe that you're not going to find out who wins this event from down there from Fortaleza, Brazil, and all of a sudden you're getting push notifications yeah. about you uh, need to
1: turn off those push notifications. About, about Johnny ESPN Walker. I mean, what were you thinking in the first place when That's it says true. like ESPN That's Plus true. would like to send you notifications? No, man. No, I can't imagine a single situation where I want to see those push notifications.
0: The big picture thing here, Ben, is that we're two events in now to ESPN Plus, the ESPN Plus era. And we talked about a week ago on the show that perhaps ESPN Plus 2 was going to be a better barometer than ESPN Plus 1 because now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Now we're going down to Brazil with a bantamweight contender fight as your main event. So here we are on the heels of two events. What are your thoughts so far? Uh, positive, negative, plus, minus? Where you at? Pretty plus.
1: I'm pretty ESPN plus right now after this one. Because yeah. this one, the first one was different because they obviously wanted to make a splash and get a lot of attention for the first show. So that's why they went from ESPN plus prelims, ESPN prelims, ESPN plus main card. And now this is the first one where it feels like, okay, so this is really how it's going to be normally. Yeah. is a full event on ESPN plus. And I got to say... This, to me, is an improvement on the UFC fight night on Fox Sports model.
0: Yeah, at least they're not keeping you up till all hours right. so like far. Right.
1: The, the pacing was pretty good, you know, faster than Dom Cruz faints, uh, I believe. Josh from Virginia describes it. Uh, I liked the, you know, the commercials still do bug me, but mainly out of principle at yeah. this point. I don't feel like it's onerous to actually sit through. It just reminds you every once in a while, like, oh, yeah, I'm just paying you directly money in addition to the money I pay you on cable TV, and you're still showing me ads, like I just feel mad about that. Rather yeah. than actually like tortured by the experience, uh, but to me, when I was sitting there and it was like, it was like a little after eight o'clock, and we're rolling into co-main event and main event stuff, and going like, all right, I could get used to this. Yeah,
0: it seemed like from the list of start times for upcoming ESPN events. Also, it seems like maybe some of them are going to start a little earlier than what we got. over I don't on Fox hate
1: Sportsman. that at all.
0: Is any part of it, I wonder, the fact that we've gotten hella stoppages in the first two events? Because very few of the fights on either of these two cards went to decision.
1: Right, but if you recall in the Fox Sports era, that did not significantly change the sure. runtime.
0: You're kicking it back to the desk, so yeah. uh you know, whoever it is can can spend some time like Uh, just over and over again breaking down what you had just seen. Right.
1: And like promoing future events that the UFC wants you to directly pay for. And there's still some of that going on here. But it didn't feel quite as bad. And uh, I guess I can get more used to just the idea of I'm watching these all on a streaming service and therefore I'm realizing it's the year 2019 and that gives me more flexibility for watching it rather than less. Like you said... You know, if you're watching it on a phone and in portrait mode, apparently you can get all these extra stats, which I was not privy to, but all right. But it does. I mean, my kids love it because it means that no more is the TV just occupied every single Saturday night when they've taken a bath and they want to watch Frozen. Like they can actually go do that because I'm watching the shit on my laptop now and gives me a little bit more of an ability to kind of move around and watch it on my computer or my iPad or or phone or whatever. So, I mean, I can get into it. it. you are going to be subject a little bit to just like the whims of the internet. Cause there were time. there's at least one time where like my stream froze at a moment where I was like, Oh, this seems like right in the middle of action. Or once I think it did kind of cut out when, uh, like the winner was just about to be announced in a, a close fight. And it was like, okay, that's just going to happen That because you know, my internet connection certainly is not perfect. I'll have to deal with that. But honestly, so far I'm feeling like the trade-offs are all worth it.
0: Yeah, seems like uh, maybe against all odds, some of the mistakes of the Fox era got cleaned up a little bit, or so we hope. As we move on into the uh, the future, we watched Incredibles two last night, that okay. just uh, became available on the Netflix streaming. Pretty what are, good. What are Pretty your good. thoughts? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It's worthwhile if you uh, if you're looking to not watch frozen or tangled for the 387th time. You
1: know, I really have kind of minimal say in that. No, no, I can, I, I can make some suggestions. Yeah. I can, I, every once in a while I exercise my veto, uh, like they discovered a Barbie fairy topia oh, yeah, no. thing. And I was just Can't like, do nope, that. Put my foot down on this one. Yeah. That one does not exist to you
0: anymore. All right. I'm going to read these next two together because it gives you a little sampling of what we got in the inbox this week. This one's from Alex Summers who writes, The worst part about this particular broadcast was the debut of one Mr. Michael T. Bisping. While he was calling the action, I have no complaints. Bisping is great at breaking down the action and his intelligence and experience in what he is describing makes all the difference. But when it got awkward, it got real awkward. Several of his post-fight interviews were unwatchable. It seems Bisping hasn't found the sweet spot between his abrasive fighter character and a humble broadcast interviewer. When he's bantering between uh, colleagues, his fighter character fits... But when he's in the octagon after a fight, he seems to get uncomfortable switching to a role where he isn't the center of attention. Please, discourse. Good no. uh,
1: good email from uh, comic book character Alex Summers.
0: Okay. Who's Alex Summers? Havoc. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Next question from Mr. Dog, which I assume is another uh, non-real name. Well,
1: maybe uh, Mr. Dog should consider consider going to medical school, coming out Dr. Dog. How would you like that? Get a little respect around here.
0: He's not a great doctor, but he's a great doctor for a dog. (laughs) He writes, I mean, this dog is writing us an email, so that's That's, pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. Mr. Dog writes, after this weekend, one thing is clear. Michael Bisping is the best fighter turned ringside announcer since Brian Stan. His analysis is much like his fighting. Upbeat, well-rounded, and full of earned confidence. Please discuss my accurate and correct opinion. Is this a sarcastic email? Hard to know. Hard to know. (laughs) Um, Do you think he's trying to channel a little Michael Bisping there?
1: I just – I only started to wonder at full of earned confidence, which (laughs) is usually you hear the opposite of that said but never it phrased exactly like this. And then please discuss my accurate and correct opinion, which I think we can all agree is an awesome sign-off and one that could apply to 90% of the emails we get. That sign-off is implied in many of them if not outright stated. But it makes me wonder if Mr. Dog is having a little fun with us here.
0: It's possible. I guess what I wanted to get at here was the debut of Michael Bisping as a – in the broadcast booth for these events. I tuned in a little late and like as I was watching it, I was trying to figure out who that was. I was like, is that Michael Bisping? Because it's obviously a British guy. But is it – you know? did they get Darren Till to come sit in here? Is it the British guy? Yeah. That's what you're wondering? I was like, well, it's not Dan Hardy. I can tell that. Right. Uh, and then when I see Bisping in the cage doing an interview, like, I was pretty impressed, to be honest with you, with uh, with the, him calling the action. I agree that it's a little bit weird, and they normally don't do this on UFC broadcasts to throw, like, what is essentially a rookie broadcaster into the role of doing the post-fight interviews.
1: Yeah, because post-fight interviews can be a little tough. Like, interviewing is a skill itself, and in that very short contained time, getting at what you want to get at there, that that can be difficult, too. I mean, we've seen it like Paul Felder has done it. And also, though, from Alex Summers' question, uh, or or no, from Mr. Dog saying he's the best fighter turned ringside announcer since Brian Stan. Well, I don't think Bisping was as bad as Alex Summers thinks he was. I don't think I would call him the best since Brian Stan. I mean, Paul Felder's really good. Yeah. Dan Hardy's really good. Yeah,
0: you know what I was actually thinking about as I was watching this event and I was listening to Bisping's commentary? I was kind of reflecting on the idea that MMA has actually produced some relatively good athletes slash commentators, especially when you think about how many of the former athletes who become television broadcasters in other sports are like pretty bad and the object of, of, you know, a certain amount of ridicule. I feel like just, you know, as you start running down names like Brian Stan, Dominic Cruz, uh, Daniel Cormier, and now Michael Bisping, Dan Hardy, I would put on that list also. Um, And maybe it's just because they have a lot of different options to choose from but the UFC has some, like, pretty darn good either current or former fighters who lend their talents to the broadcast booth. They do. And I, believe, I mean, nobody's perfect, obviously, and and you're going to like some people and not like other people, and that's just a matter of opinion. But I feel like maybe uh, surprisingly enough, I would consider this to be kind of surprising, I feel like we are in a fairly good place with uh, fighters slash broadcasters right now. Embarrassment of riches? I don't know that I would go quite that far, but like, and, and like aside from even talking about like what has befallen some people in other sports, just think about some of the bad stuff that we've seen in MMA in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, we Tito Ortiz and Kimbo Slice and, and you know, some other guys trying to, to get in the broadcast booth. It, it's never been good. And so like, I, I'm surprised, I guess, a little bit that we have so many seemingly capable fighters in the broadcast booth today. I mean... I did not think Bisping was bad. I didn't either. I, he was better than I would have expected. Let me I, say that.
1: I do think there's a valid point to be made that sometimes, and I don't think that it's an abrasive fighter character. I think it's kind of his natural personality that I don't think some, what we've seen so far, he doesn't do super well with conflict which by which I mean maybe he likes it too much. Yeah. And when you're the guy on that side of the table, and you're the guy who's given his opinion on the fights, people are gonna take issue with you sometimes. And whenever it happens with him, like when John Jones gets mad at him or, you know, uh Colby Covington or somebody else gets mad at him, it's just his natural reaction to wade right into that. And I don't know how well that works when you're a broadcaster and commentator. I think that maybe that's not what you wanna be doing is taking the bait and getting into every single side squabble with people all the time. Yeah. Uh, But I do think that there is a value in having like a fighter at the broadcast table who can give you that perspective and can talk about, you know, the intricacies of what it's actually like to get in there and fight over and over again. Uh, And he does bring a lot of experience in that way. There are also those sometimes where you're watching it and maybe it was just a combination of him and the other guy whose name I can never remember. What's that guy's name? uh,
0: The new play-by-play guy? You got me.
1: Which I guess means he's doing a good enough job. Yeah. Because I haven't, I haven't looked had, up his name had, on the internet so I, I can flame had, him on a message yeah, board. Yeah, I haven't had to go, who's this motherfucker? <laughs> like, I haven't had to do that yet, so he must be doing something right. But every once in a while, like, they would get started talking about something like, hey, why did that ref stand them up with no warning whatsoever? And, like, as, at home, as a viewer, you're going, she did give a warning. Everybody everybody else saw the – neither one of you saw the warning? With what? And, like, you guys are both just in this, like, wrong feedback loop. So there's some of that kind of stuff that's going to go on. But like for the most part, I felt like he did a a passable job, serviceable.
0: Yeah, I agree. Next question from David Golden this week. He writes, I haven't written in a while, but something that took place at UFC on ESPN plus two left such an impression with me that I had to find out how the two of you felt about it. Both before and after his fight, Johnny Walker danced his way into my heart. I think he might be one of my guys, and now I can't decide if it's because of his dancing prowess or his finishing ability in the cage. I have three questions for you. Were you guys mesmerized by his dance moves? That's question one. Where does he rank amongst the overly sexualized dancers in the UFC? That's question two. And is this dude for real? That's question three. Sample size is small, but I love what I'm seeing from him so far. Discourse this... uh, Writhing worm of a man. So Ben, let's talk about the fight first, because
1: oh, really? Uh, you want to talk about the fight
0: first? Well, it only takes fifteen seconds, <laughs> okay. and then I assume right. that we will clear out of the way uh, some time to talk about the dancing.
1: You of all people, I know, are going to want to talk about this dancing.
0: Johnny Walker TKO's Justin Leday in fifteen seconds. Like the, the now the 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 official recording of the victory on his Wikipedia set page says TKO spinning back fist and punches, but that doesn't really capture what we saw here because Johnny Walker, what was this like a hook kick like a he throws a like a like a back heel kick. Kind yeah, of thing. but the
1: range is kind of all for the kick. It turns out though, yeah, it's perfect for the follow-up spinning back forearm. It's basically. just sort
0: of like a, a grazing kick, but then he rolls straight into this spinning back fist that catches Justin Lede pretty much flush, drops into the canvas, finishes it off. Uh, with some savage punches on the ground.
1: After throwing a kick that may, could have got him in some trouble if it had landed to Justin Lede's head.
0: Indeed. So this is Johnny Walker's, uh, well, I guess third win in a row in the UFC, if you count Dana White's contender series Brazil, or second win in the octagon proper over Khalil Roundtree Jr. and Justin Lede. So some decent competition there. He's 26 years old. He's a light heavyweight, and God knows we need every single one of those that we can get. Yeah. Uh, I agree with David Golden that the sample size is very small at this point, but I also think there is uh, some reason to be relatively hyped about Johnny Walker.
1: Yeah. My question to you is, would you be this hyped if he were a lightweight?
0: No, we wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Right? I mean, we would probably see the stoppage and be like, oh, that's cool. The that'll dancing,
1: pro- perhaps, we would notice. Yeah,
0: that'll probably wind up on some lists. But, like, no, man, the bigger you are, light heavyweight or heavyweight, you get a couple wins, you look good doing it, you have a little bit of a personality, you recover nicely from almost trip tripping, coming on the stage for the the pre-fight stare down. You uh, share a name with a famous whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> that does not hurt uh, there's a, an internet video of you doing a stripper themed walkout. Okay, there you go. A lot of stuff uh, for Johnny Walker is working out right now in now terms of climbing the ranks at the 205 at pound division.
1: It's important for people to know, in case they haven't seen this video, uh, you can check my Twitter, and I, I CC'd Chad on it just to make sure he saw it. When you say stripper themed walkout, you don't mean just that like he is doing the, I would call it, less jevious dance moves. On his way down there, but he was wearing the actual Chippendale stuff. Like he had the tearaway pants. He had the cuffs, like the thing, the thing is just shirt cuffs and just the collar with like the bow tie. He really went for it on that one. Yeah. And he was doing the dance moves and really showing, showing you everything he had before the fight.
0: (laughs) Uh, Coupled with the pulling the shirt up to show off the abs during the stare down earlier this week, did in fact make me wonder if Johnny Walker has some previous professional experience In that area that he is bringing to the table now in his fight career.
1: If it's not, if he doesn't, it seems like he's auditioning for that as a post-fight career. But you're right. I wondered the same thing because I was like, okay, 26 years old, big light heavyweight, finishing people off and has a personality. You're going to get our attention that way. Yeah. But it's also the kind of division where you can have a lot of fun in the shallow end of the pool and look pretty good doing it. But if you get out in the deep end, it's deep quickly yeah and it's like it's really deep and the top three or four are all kind of monsters
0: and that's the double-edged sword of turning our heads in those divisions right you're not gonna get the opportunity that you might get at welterweight or lightweight or featherweight to like have six or seven or eight fights in the ufc before you run up against a real contender i would think with johnny Walker another fight or two and he if he gets wins and he's if they're impressive he's going to be right there in the mix with people wanting him to fight someone really really tough and then we're going to find out quickly and you know pretty early on in his uh evolution as a UFC fighter if he's good enough to hang with those guys
1: are you saying that Johnny Walker
0: might end up as a victim of his own success I think I mean it seems to happen more often than not, in those divisions, just because there's a, there's not much competition, and if and we're kind of hungry for stars there, so if you are a person that we look at and think like, oh, oh, there's a lot of potential in this person, uh, you can't get too far down the trail before people start calling for for uh, high profile fights.
1: It's true that it does say something that I think we don't really see in. Any other division, I would argue, where the difference between a guy who's kind of considered just an also ran in the division, a guy like Justin Leday or Khalil Roundtree, and the the space between him and John Jones is just massive. Yeah. So that we could easily look at you and be like, yeah, you are better than those guys. You absolutely stomped those guys, and John Jones would commit an assault, <laughs> like a felony fucking assault on you. And it would not even be fun to watch because it would be so one-sided. Like, you can hold those ideas very easily simultaneously in your head at light heavyweight. where I don't know. Like, if you are beating, you know, kind of experienced UFC lightweights, people would be like, I don't think you're ready for Nurmi," but I don't think the distance between you would be that big. And in light heavyweight, that is the case. But I do think you're right because you just, you run out of other ideas at a certain point.
0: What about the post-fight dance? People are calling it overly sexualized. To me, it was just a little all over the place. Well, there's, there's a lot of energy, a lot of spastic energy there.
1: Well, there was some pre-fight dancing, and then there was the post-fight dancing. I, it's a guy who loves to dance. Let's say that.
0: Hard to hate that.
1: Well, I mean, you're the one who has had a problem with some overly erotic dancing <laughs> at times. This
0: there's just that there was enough uh, pure spur of the moment joy in this one. To Joie give de vivre. My, yeah. Would you say? Yes. Exactly. You are
1: saying that you what you what takes it from being kind of just overtly sexual to acceptable, and the Chad Dundas rating system is pure joie de beef.
0: In this In this instance, yes. I don't know how to define an overly sexualized dance, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from famous actress Rosario Dawson.
1: I knew she listened. I was wondering if she was ever going to write in.
0: With all the talk about Habib and who he may or may not be fighting next, what is the chance that the UFC strips him of the belt? He has mentioned not fighting until Tukov is cleared in November, which is several months after his return date. I know Connor got more than a year before he was stripped, but with the embarrassment of riches in the lightweight division, is there a chance that the UFC moves on without Habib? They could always bring him back to fight the new champ or an interim champ. Uh, So Rosario Dawson, not only emailing the podcast for the first time, But pretty comfortable with the MMA landscape enough to just go first and last names only in this email.
1: She's a shit-eating wild person for this.
0: I would think that there is very little chance of the UFC stripping Nurmagomedov unless he becomes what what management thinks of as a problem.
1: Because there's just a
0: lot of money still on the table. More
1: obstinate than he is right now?
0: Right. With Nurmagomedov. There's so much money still out there available with a rematch with Conor McGregor or even, you know, in a fight with Tony Ferguson or maybe a fight with Max Holloway. If Max Holloway moves up, I feel like there's just a lot of interesting potential with Nurmagomedov who now has established himself, I guess as one of the UFC's uh, high profile stars at this point that I would be surprised if they do anything to relieve him of that title unless you know, negotiations become an issue with Nurmagomedov or like if he's if he's going to end up sitting out for a lot longer than we think he is even, you know, off into the fall uh, and injuries are always an issue with, with Habib. So I would think that the UFC would do whatever it, it could do to keep that belt on his waist if for no other reason than there's some pretty big paydays out there uh, for the company if he can take part.
1: Okay. I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that it would be tough to strip him of the title just because you know he's gonna be suspended for nine months and if he wants to sit out an extra like couple months after that, and then you're saying, well, no, this is unacceptable to us, we're stripping him of the title. That would be weird. Yeah. And it would start to just look fucking ridiculous. Like nobody wins a title for very long. They just get to babysit it for a while until you think of a better, like more immediate need that you want to meet. But here's the problem the UFC is gonna face. You've got a ton of interesting possible matchups to make in the lightweight division. And if Nurmagomedov really sticks to this thing where he doesn't return until fall, let's say November of 2019 is when you can start thinking about a fight. Let's let's say to be more realistic, you're not going to get him back in the cage until the year-end event of 2019. That's a long time to sit here with no UFC lightweight title, no title to put up for grabs in the most talent-rich division in the entire sport, much less the UFC. And you got all these other people sitting around where there's money to be made with them. Like, you yeah. got Conor McGregor. he If he wants to fight after he comes off suspension in April, you know the UFC is going to want him to fight. They're going to want to fight somebody like Cowboy Cerrone, but then what do you do? Do you just say, like, they're just fighting for the sheer fucking hell of it, and you're going to watch it because of who's involved. You know the UFC loves to put a shiny gold belt on those things. And you also know... Conor McGregor's not fighting on ESPN+. Plus. He's going to be pay-per-view all the way. So do you just say, we're headlining this pay-per-view with no title fight, but we are confident you'll buy it because Conor McGregor is fighting. He's fighting with another fan favorite guy. What are the stakes of their fight? Well, I don't know because yeah. we don't know what's happening with the title.
0: Well, I think if Conor McGregor had beat Habib Nurmagomedov, the UFC probably wasn't necessarily planning to have a lightweight champion around till the end of the year. I feel like or McGregor would have been on a similar schedule, regardless of suspensions or fines or whatever, just because he's that seems to be kind of how he operates. So I don't necessarily know if if you know just having Habib out of action till the end of the year upsets a lot of plans for the UFC. I mean, we know that they'll throw an interim belt out there, at the drop of the hat, and that you doesn't necessarily. You might have
1: necessi- to throw a few interim belts out there because <laughs> I mean, you also got guys like Tony Ferguson knocking around. You got Dustin Poirier, you got Al Akita,
0: yeah. uh,
1: the specter of Nate Diaz haunting everything every once in a while.
0: But uh, fabricating an interim belt doesn't necessarily entail stripping Habib Nurmagomedov of True. the title, uh, and I think that you mentioned McGregor Cerrone. I, I feel like that is one McGregor fight that you could get away with doing without a belt. Like you could just have that, you could you could frame it as an important lightweight contender fight that if McGregor can win that one, he's right back in the mix uh, for another shot as his, at his arch nemesis, Habib Nurmagomedov. And I think people would tune in to watch because you got Conor there, you got Cowboy Cerrone there. You know, you're probably not going to break the all-time pay-per-view buy rate record with that, but I bet you would do okay.
1: Uh, here's my question. I was writing about this a little er- earlier today. Say they go to Tony Ferguson and they say, all right, You know, we got to have some lightweight stuff going on in the meantime. How about you and Dustin Poirier? Dustin says he's only accepting one of two fights, either Conor McGregor or Tony Ferguson. How about the two of you guys for the interim belt in the meantime? Does El Kakui fall for that again? After what happened to him the first time that he won an interim belt? did do they tell him, like, hey, we'll give you the interim belt, man. It'll be awesome. You get to have a belt to wear around. And then when Khabib's back, this belt signifies the physical reality that you are the top contender and you got next. Does he fall for it again?
0: Well, Tony Ferguson is going to have to do something. And unfortunately, we just had a pretty long conversation about the lightweight title picture without mentioning him uh, very much. It doesn't seem like Connor's going to fight him. It doesn't seem like Nurmagomedov will fight him if mcgregor is available and 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 willing to to you know have a rematch with
1: habib yeah you got his manager i just saying he definitely will not fight him yeah. next.
0: so that's kind of a tough spot for ferguson to be in i mean you could sit out if you wanted to but like we just said that belt looks like it's going to be on ice for a while uh i don't know what ferguson's financial situation is and when he when he next needs to get a paycheck but i would think that we see him out there fighting somebody i don't know if it's dustin Poirier. I mean, do you think it would be smart for him to just kind of wait it out and try to fight the Cerrone-McGregor winner if that person crops up, if that fight does indeed happen? Uh,
1: I would think either one of those guys who comes out of that fight, the winner of that is going to tell himself, oh, I got Nurmi next, and right. there's no way you're talking me out of it. I mean, you know Conor McGregor would have a goddamn soliloquy ready for the moment he beats uh, Cowboy Cerrone and they put a camera and a microphone in his face he's going to have some stuff to say to Nurmi. He's looking straight past Tony Ferguson. If I'm Tony Ferguson and I'm being at all realistic with myself, I know that there's no chance I talk the winner of that into a fight unless, you know, Nurmagomedov goes on like a five-year walkabout yeah. and he's just not an option. Like, I would have to think that I might as well get in there, fight, and hope that something falls in my favor.
0: So that's a tough spot for Tony Ferguson, man. He's kind of it like is. falling victim to that age-old fighter story of like, being the super tough guy who is the smallest payday on the board. No one wants to risk their political capital or their place in the sport by fighting Tony Ferguson because he might well beat you, and you're not going to take that option while there are more lucrative options available. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us while you're there you can sign up for the breakfast of champions newsletter that comes out every friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast stuff always happens news always breaks the newsletter itself is short it's informative we would love to tell you it's funny and if you don't like it it's really easy to unsubscribe as for right now though we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one Then, above and beyond, Johnny Walker. There's some stuff from UFC Fight Night 144 that kind of begs to be discussed here in round number one of the show. Marlon Moraes gets a victory over Rafaela Sunsau. Jose Aldo gets a victory over Hanato Moikano. Your guy, Damian Maya, gets a, a victory over Lyman Good. Jiu Jitsu! What? That's right! I guess, as an opening question, the question I wanted to ask you was why would anybody ever fight Damian Maya? Why would that be a thing that it even you would entertain as a possibility? Because let's say you're Lyman Good and you beat Damian Maya, that's a good win. Yeah, didn't put. You, it's not going to put you on a bullet train to the top. You're not going to be rocketed into the atmosphere as a as a new contender there at welterweight. And there's a very good possibility that he's just going to single leg you down, climb on your back, and choke you out in two minutes and thirty eight seconds. Um, and that's me- not only true, of Lyman Good. Obviously, that's true of. Every damn buddy. Let me ask
1: you this. Uh, what's the biggest win Lyman Good has?
0: Without looking, I don't know. In fact, let me tell you this. I tune in to watch this fight. I might have been thinking of a totally different person because they show me Lyman Good uh, <laughs> on the tail of the tape. And I'm like, did he just grow that beard? Has that always been there? Like, is this, like, I'm thinking of a different guy. Like, I, I mean, had a totally different perception of who Lyman Good was in my head before I saw him. In
1: fairness, there are a lot of guys. There,
0: yeah, there's there's a uh, lot of guys, shitload out there. of
1: guys. Yeah, so I get it. But I mean, I guess you look at his record, and it's like, yeah, he comes off this win over Ben Saunders in November. You know, decent win over Ben Saunders. He beat Andrew Craig, another guy who kind of popped up, was around for a little while. Nashon Burrell. Um, before that, you know, back in his Bellator days, yeah, he beat Jim Wallhead. I guess lost the decision to Ben Askren. He's on that list. Um, you know. Other than that, I mean, he beat Mike Dolce back when my, Mike Dolce was still fighting uh in the IFL. I remember I was at I was at that one, I believe. And uh you don't see a whole lot of other recognizable names on Lyman Goods record. So maybe that's what he's thinking, is if I beat Demian Maya, that's a somebody. Although everybody else will look at it and be like, Well, that's four straight for Demon Maya, it kind of just proves that he's finally found the end of the road.
0: Yeah. Well, and like if uh, Damian Maya is sort of like the consummate gatekeeper at this point to the welterweight title picture, but if he's like the 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 old wizard guarding the bridge, and you got to answer his, his questions to get across, I'm thinking about swimming the river rather than <laughs> going out there against Damian Maya and getting choked out in in two minutes and thirty eight seconds. Yeah, I really like
1: though afterwards, Damian Maya. Well, for one thing, how is it that? Demon Maia is one of the only people in the sport where he can beat people, and then afterwards, that person is talking about how great a dude Demon Maia is. I mean, he, everybody loves Demian. From Maya.
0: the outside looking in, he seems like the nicest person in, in the world.
1: Yeah, and when he, you know, that
0: story about where
1: when he beat uh, who is it? I I'm gonna. Kick myself for not remembering... Not the Neil name. Magny. Neil Magny, yes. Yeah. When he beat Neil Magny, and then Neil Magny went to his seminar afterwards, and yeah. then and uh, Demi Maya took, like, special time aside with him to show him some stuff that he felt like he could use from both their fight experience together and from watching some of his other fights, and it was just like, man, that is an awesome dude. But afterwards, he says, at least in the quote circulated by the UFC, he wants, he's got, what, two fights left on his contract. He wants to fight one more time in Brazil, and then he will decide his life. Which, man, <laughs> I, I, I picture him taking like a long walk on the beach, just staring out at the ocean, yeah. trying to decide his life. Whatever he decides, it, it's going to be successful. Demian Maya is one of those guys. You know, some of these guys, you worry about them, what happens after fighting for these guys. I don't worry about Demian Maya. Think he's
0: going to be okay? And he's going to be okay. Who are you more impressed by here in terms of the main event and co main event uh, winners? Jose Aldo. With the second round TKO of Hanato Maikano or Marlon moraes going out there and choking out uh, Rafael Asunsao in three minutes and 17 seconds. It's
1: close, but I have to say Marlon moraes yeah. just for strength of schedule, basically. Because yeah.
0: Asunsao has
1: been the guy in the division for a long time who might be one of the best and not really getting the credit. And, you know, he gave... Moraes has flossed in his UFC debut, like his only UFC loss so far. And that was a close fight. He's a really tough out for anybody. And so to go out there and finish that guy in the first round, I'm really impressed. I mean, Jose Aldo's win over Henato Moicano, also impressive. But he was a little bit more of an unknown quality, still kind of like on his way up. And it was a smart performance by Jose Aldo. I liked seeing how he can still take a first round and try to figure you out. But now, doesn't it seem like when you see Jose Aldo in some of these more recent fights... You're seeing the old savagery come back a little bit. Like maybe that he just doesn't have as much to lose as he did back when he had the belt. Like he's not afraid to just go running at you hands down when he sees you hurt.
0: Every time, I'm astonished that Jose Aldo is 32 years old. I know. Every
1: single damn Kind of like Joe Riggs where you felt like every, t- every time you w- went to look up his Wikipedia page, you'd expect that he had somehow aged eight years in the last six months and yeah. finally like he would have passed you.
0: It's an interesting psychological profile at this point for Jose Aldo because he comes out of the WEC as featherweight champion and gets promoted to UFC featherweight champion and back in the, in the blue cage was just eating everybody's lunch, tearing everybody to pieces, doing stuff like landing double flying knees like he did to Cub Swanson back in 2009 that don't even really seem possible. And then he becomes the UFC Champion, and I thought that he was ticketed for stardom. Frankly, I was like, "This is the guy that's going to make the these lighter weight classes marketable. This is the guy who's going to be a big pay per view draw for the UFC." And then he uh, he doesn't really blossom into that. No, and you you could argue make take maybe takes a more uh, conservative approach than we expected throughout the heart of his featherweight title reign. He's also out here fighting every tough 145 pounder in the world. He's fighting them hitters. Yeah. Uh, and then loses to Conor McGregor in 13 seconds at UFC 194, and that just adds a, a, a completely different layer of of psychological evaluation that is necessary. Because then I feel like throughout you know the two Max Holloway fights and maybe even the decision win over Frankie Edgar, he was kind of trying to get it back together. And not only that, like fighting Max Holloway twice, which is not an easy. Uh, you know uh, uh assignment for anybody it does feel like now against Jeremy Stevens and against Hinato makano, at least to me, like he kinda has found himself again, so to speak, and like maybe he's not as fast, maybe he doesn't you know have quite the uh the mind blowing abilities that he had earlier in his in his career, but like still Jose Aldo still when he decides to flip that switch can can uh you know knock into next week,
1: yeah, but is also still the guy who is capable of. Following a smart game plan that shuts down all the things that you do well. Like, I go back to that fight with uh, Frankie Edgar at UFC 200 for the interim featherweight title, which uh, was the first one after that 13 second knockout loss to Conor McGregor. And he goes out there back when we were realizing, okay, Conor McGregor's probably never going to be a featherweight again. Uh, let's try to move on with the division. And it felt like, okay, we're just going right back to Jose Aldo. But Some of the things he did in that fight to Frankie Edgar were just so super impressive in the way that we all know how good Frankie Edgar is and how he does these few things very, very well and how Jose Aldo just took them away from him one by one. And so seeing like this, like a couple of finishes against tough guys in the division reminds you, yeah, he can still do it for a little while, like he's not nearly done. And I think maybe it gets him a little of his respect back because so many people kind of got on board the Conor McGregor train and a lot of people maybe who weren't even really closely following this sport before the rise of Conor McGregor. And they see that 13 second knockout and it's just kind of like, well, fuck this guy. Who is yeah. it? Who is he anyway? And they didn't see the full body of work that made it so that that was the fight to make at the time. Now maybe he's showing those people. Jose Aldo was still around. He could still hurt some
0: people. Yeah. It does seem like he is in even now a tough spot though. Just because
1: I don't want to see a third fight with Max Holloway.
0: No, I don't think anybody does. We don't know what Max Holloway is going to do. Uh, Jose Aldo has talked a lot about retirement. It seems like he considers himself uh, on the verge of, of being done, uh, which would be totally understandable. If it's true, he's, he's done everything you could possibly do in the sport. He's been around for a long time. Despite uh, that relatively young age, he's got a lot of wear and tear on the body just from having so many fights and being in the sport for so many years. Uh so he's he's one of these guys who's like one of the toughest people at that weight in the world and yet I don't know that he would beat Max Holloway ever for the remainder of of his career and I don't know if he's going to stick around long enough to really kind of build himself back up into like the number one contender here might be the multi-million dollar question is there any scenario where a Jose Aldo-Conor McGregor rematch becomes viable at 155 pounds.
1: No. I don't think Conor McGregor ever goes down that road again. Because what are you going to do that's better than a one-punch, 13-second knockout?
0: No, I agree with you. And like, deep, and he has so many other options. Deep in his heart of hearts, I feel like uh, Conor McGregor probably knows that he got away with one against Jose Aldo. Not that he wouldn't have beat the guy, because I think now... We have enough uh, anecdotal evidence to suggest that Conor McGregor probably wins most fights against Jose Aldo, but like to go out there and just stroke the guy in 13 seconds and a guy who stylistically might've been a little bit of a problem for Conor McGregor had that fight gone on a little bit, a little bit longer, but like, let's say McGregor loses to Cerrone. Let's say he gets triangle choked. Let's say Jose Aldo is out here running his mouth. Then we do
1: Nate Diaz three.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, i was trying to make a case here for also, Jose Aldo to have a little hope, but you're just crushing it. You're, you're stomping on it at every turn.
1: You're worried that people might take it wrong when you say, like, who's going to be the recipient of Marlon Marais' stuff, but not worried about talking about Conor McGregor going out there and just stroking a guy. <laughs> Not That doesn't concern you at all.
0: Well, now we're too far into the show. If you stuck, if you stuck with us this long, we, you, we got you. <laughs> you're, not, you're not walking away at this point. All right. I think we gotta, we're going to make history. This week on the show, Ben, because I think we're going to have a joint. Are you fucking kidding me? And then I think for the first time ever, we are also going to have a joint just saying stuff. Yeah. At the end of the show. I don't know if we've ever done that. Pretty easy call for. Are you fucking kidding me this week? Right. Because once you see the Colby Covington pre Super Bowl video, you can't unsee it. Let's just say that. I feel like he started out hot. Like when he says, <laughs> really? Well, when he says, What's up, nerds and virgins, or whatever, because you like, you, as soon as you see it, you're like, Okay, Colby Covington is, has taken to making professional wrestling style promo <laughs> no, he's vignettes been, he's, for himself. He's
1: done a few of these.
0: And like when he says, What's up, nerds and, and virgins, I'm like, Okay, I'm in. You got me. <laughs> Things quickly, quickly go off the rails from there. Yeah. Yeah. How do you even put words to what Colby Covington is doing? Well, it seems he's
1: hired some help. <laughs> yeah. Uh yep. he's hired uh, some female accompaniment. Uh, would you say sidekick? <laughs> is that accurate? I mean, sidekicks have a name. I don't think we're ever given a name for this person, are we?
0: No, we don't meet we don't meet this young lady uh to put a name to her. You know when they talk about
1: like does porn demean women? Um no, this is way worse than, <laughs> as far as like demeaning acts you could have to do for for money. This being in a fucking Colby Covington hype video for like some kind of online gambling site. That's the
0: thing. Is like at the that's end the of the it,
1: worst, most demeaning thing you could possibly do.
0: After you watch this train wreck of a video uh, with Colby Covington, at the end it turns out that it's like a shill video for some gambling site that has paid him some money.
1: Yes, and his betting advice is wrong. His betting advice turns out to be wrong.
0: I mean, that's kind of the coolest part, right?
1: It's <laughs> like really the least of it when you consider it. Um, and also the gag with the football where he is for one thing still kind of kind of out of date to be making deflate gate jokes yeah. this this late in the game, but also to then make it also a sexualized deflate gate joke just if you were trying to make a to write a script where Colby Covington just became a parody of himself, you couldn't do any better. Are you fucking kidding me?
0: Are you fucking kidding? Me? Are you fucking kidding me? I hope that the female lead here got paid a lot of money, a uh, ton of money. Something makes me doubt that.
1: And she gives it to like the, uh, the YWCA or something.
0: That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two.
1: Chad, Robert John Knuckles, the first, first of his name is ready to return to the octagon. Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker, the Reaper, if you're not into the whole fun nickname thing. Finally, the middleweight champ is coming back. You kind of forgot about how excited you were about Bobby Knuckles being middleweight champ, didn't you?
0: Yeah. Admit it. No, yeah. This will be the first time since April of 2017 that we've seen... Uh, Robert James Knuckles fight anyone besides Joel Romero. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get Kelvin Gastelum out there. Let's get Bobby Knuckles out there. Let's do the damn thing for the 185 pound title. I expect this to be kind of a crackerjack of a stylistic matchup between these two guys. Okay. Let's let it blaze. Do Just we, bleed.
1: Do you expect it to be a competitive matchup? Do you think of this as, like, all right. Here's the one you got to win to show everybody that you really are a middleweight champ, the way we kind of think of that sometimes early on in a champion's reign. Or do you think of it as, here's a chance for your boy Bobby Nux to show out, to have a lot of fun in the hometown, and just smash a guy who maybe is not quite really there at that level yet.
0: I think that we expect Robert Whitaker to win this fight, especially since he seems like he is better at doing the thing that Kelvin Gastelum likes to do. So that makes me think that it's kind of a difficult matchup of styles for Kelvin. At the same time, I think Kelvin Gastelum sort of r- routinely defies my expectations. And if, uh, if he were to go out there and become UFC middleweight champion, I think then we would start. Looking askance at the, at the record of Robert Whitaker, start going through it with a, with a pair of tweezers, maybe, and being like, well, we really didn't see that much from him, uh, in the last couple of years outside of these Yoel Romero fights, which obviously were both incredible fights. But like, uh, Kelvin Gastelum winning this fight would, I think, m- make us start thinking a little bit differently about maybe what we had seen.
1: Really? Cause I have to think that Robert Whitaker's, recent record at middleweight is really tough to pick apart. Well, that's before
0: you see him lose, though. Once he loses, then we'll be like, what's going on here?
1: I'll tell you what what people will say if he loses this one. Ring rust. That he's been out since June of 2018, that he's had these injuries, and that coming back from him is not that easy. I think that that people will just be like, well, he was off a long time, he had a tough road back, and Kelvin Gastelum was just ready for him.
0: There is that, and Kelvin Gastelum is not the kind of guy – you should take lightly, nor the kind of guy that maybe you would relish the idea of uh, having as your, as your comeback fight after being away for so long.
1: I think, though, that if if the ring rust does not turn out to be a huge, significant factor, and let's keep in mind, he was off for basically a year between the two Yoel Romero fights, and he looked pretty good in the second one, so... There's some evidence to suggest that the guy can... He can do that. He can do a layoff and, and not be terribly affected by it. But if you look at, like, how they match up, how do you see Kelvin Gastelum winning this fight? Like, what... If, if he doesn't come in... If Robert Whitaker does not come in there looking awful because of the layoff and the injuries and whatever, what does Kelvin Gastelum do to him that he can't handle?
0: Yeah, it's a tough matchup of styles. I mean... We don't think of Kelvin Gastelum as a wrestle-first kind of guy. He usually likes to go out there and throw those hands and kind of see what happens. But like I said, my expectation is that Robert Whitaker is going to be the better striker here. And you know that's one of the reasons why I feel like it is a tough matchup for Kelvin is that uh, Whitaker may well take away from him the thing that he likes to do the most. But if you're Kelvin Gastelum's coaching staff, do you send him out there with the idea – all right, we need to take this guy down, put him on his back, try to wear him out, maybe use a little bit of that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu if we get the opportunity, uh, because that's the the path of least resistance between you and the title. Because I don't know that...
1: No, I don't I don't think you tell him that at all. You
0: think you tell him go out there and try to win a slugfest? I think you tell him we're
1: going to win this one with one good left hand or something. I mean, you don't want to tell him that to look for just one punch, but I don't think you're going to take him down and beat him on the mat like that. I just don't. I just. I just don't see that happening. In so you any way. think that
0: it's the best option for Kelvin Gastelum to go out there and have a, a a punchy fight, a strike fight with with a guy named whose nickname is Bobby Knuckles. I mean, you remember what happened to Kelvin Gastelum against Chris Weidman, where he just kind of got
1: schooled on the ground and looks like okay, here's where the size difference at middleweight actually matters for you. You have looked like he was just kind of like overpowered and lost on the ground. Yeah. And he's going to be the smaller guy against Bobby Knuckles. I, it's not like Bobby Knuckles has a bad ground game that you can really exploit. Especially it's not like Kelvin Gastelum has a super opportunistic submissions game or anything. I don't think, I think if you try to match cardio with him by taking him down and wearing him down, I think Kelvin Gastelum is the guy who gets tired of that first.
0: Yeah, Robert Whittaker and, and Chris Weidman are not the same kind of fighter though. Chris Weidman has a much higher level wrestling background to fall back True. on. I feel like sending Kelvin Gastelum out to have a boxing match with Robert Whitaker is kind of crazy.
1: I mean, I just don't think that there are that many better options. I mean, you look at how he dealt with uh UL Romero's takedown game and ground game and stuff. Like if you're not that worried about UL Romero taking you down and, and wearing you out that way. I mean, that's how I would tell you Romero to fight Bobby Knuckles if you, if you can handle that, I don't know, Kelvin Gastelum brings a whole lot of heat that you just can't possibly bear.
0: That's a solid point about Yoel Romero. Plus... Like nobody is as as good a wrestler in the octagon as he is, so that, you know, maybe above and beyond anything else dims the chances of Kelvin Gastelum. It sounds to me like you're just expecting a walkthrough here, though, for, I don't know for, about a for I Robert Whitaker.
1: I think he wins this fight, and I, I think there are way more ways that he wins it than ways that he loses it. You know, when my... My best hope is, if I'm Kelvin Gaslam, go out there and kick this son of a bitch's knee. Just kick the hell out of it and hope you injure it again. Uh, and even then, you not necessarily have a clear path to victory. Remember, he injured it against U.L. Romero. And his uh, response afterwards was just to laugh and be like, Ha! You know, I injured this knee and then this, this guy just re-injured it. How about that? not Isn't Isn't that a pain in the ass? And did not really seem bothered by it in the actual fight too much. He can get through that stuff. But it might be your best hope to slow him down
0: a little bit. Kelvin Gastelum about a two to one underdog here. Robert Whitaker close to a three to one favorite. Um, so maybe not quite as lopsided as I might have expected, but still like a clear advantage there for the champion. Especially
1: if you're down in Melbourne at the Rod Laver Arena. You know Bobby Knuckle's going to have some supporters in the crowd.
0: Yeah, it's going to be one or two fans. Home field advantage there for Robert Whitaker for sure. But I'm always looking for these things to fall apart, man. Anytime we, uh, anytime in mixed martial arts where you're like. All right, well, we'll have the hometown guy uh, quarterback this pay-per-view main event in a fight that he should absolutely win. I feel like that's when the the MMA gods wake from their slumber. They start looking askance at you being like, oh, really? You think this will be an easy one, eh? You hear rumblings from Mount Zion's? I would say no, don't eat any tiramisu leading up to this fight. All right, fair enough. Before that. Uh, Would it shock you? Are you going to be shocked? if Kelvin Gastelum is your middleweight champion. I feel like I'm not – I haven't even really entertained the option that we wake up Sunday morning and Kelvin Gastelum walking around with the belt. I
1: would be shocked. I mean, I guess it would depend a little bit on how it happens. uh, But, yeah, it's hard for me to see. Especially – maybe it was just because seeing that Kelvin Gastelum versus Chris Weidman fight reminded me, while Kelvin Gastelum had a hard time making welterweight and probably was – Hindering his own performances by insisting on continuing to make welterweight and was kind of like surprisingly successful at middleweight to the point where it was just kind of like, all right, he won another one at middleweight. I guess he's going to stay at middleweight, see how far this can go. It's still a little bit surprising to me to see him go all the way to the title. Yeah. To see him in a title fight. But I think you're going to get in there with Robert Whitaker, and you're going to find out not only are you in there with like a guy who is truly a middleweight You're in there with a guy who is the best middleweight in the world right now, and there
0: are just not a whole lot of weaknesses for you to exploit. I'm excited to find out which one of our two dojos has the correct approach here for Kelvin Gastelum, or the approach that he will take. Perhaps there is no correct approach, but is he going to go with Team Folks or Team Dundas? I mean... I'm just spicing it up things a little further here for the people does, at home who are going to watch this. Does Houston. also
1: involve, like, putting a thumb in a guy's eye?
0: Well, once you like get him on the does. ground, you might as well, right? <laughs> might as well. No reason not to that I can think of. All right. That's it for the UFC 234 main event. We're going to talk about uh, Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva here coming up in round three. That starts right now. 43-year-old Anderson Silva just down for whatever. Depends on what you mean by whatever. I mean, is high sex juice? Is yeah. A, Hell yeah. I mean, have we found anything that he won't do <laughs> up to this point? He's well, going to go out there and fight Israel Adesanya this weekend, Ben. Okay. Let's back
1: it up, though, and give it some context. All right. Why is he going to go out there and fight Israel Adesanya? Because he needs the money? I don't know. Because, Chad, they threw that mirage of the title shot out in front of him. It's hanging on on there on the horizon. That's what he said when people were asking him, why would you you, you agree to this? He was like, because they told me that if I win, I get the title shot. And that's what I'm in this for is I want to be champion again. And so that's what he said why he's doing it.
0: I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. What with Anderson Silva talking to Dana White on his cell phone while Dana White's throwing darts in his office. And Anderson Silva says, if I win this, do I get a title shot? And Dana White goes, uh, "Ah, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure, man. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Funk. Here goes another dart. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you could
1: make the argument like if he wins, maybe he does get a title shot
0: just from like, hey, what the hell? All right. Well, let's think about this from the UFC's perspective, though. Let's say things happen like we expect them to. Everything plays out according to chalk, and Robert Whitaker beats Kelvin Gastelum in your main event. I guess you could do worse than setting Robert Whitaker up with a fight against Anderson Silva.
1: Well, he's beat damn near everybody else in the top of the division at this point. Yeah, that's the thing about Robert Whitaker's rise uh, to the title is it just you know it went through Yoel Romero twice, Jacare. You know he. It's not like you have a whole bunch of people out there where. They would feel like super fresh matchups for him. So maybe you do tell yourself like, all right, we can, but if Anderson Silva goes out there and beats Israel Adesanya, it would force a kind of reimagining of what the possibilities are for Anderson Silva at this point. Because to me, looking at this one on paper, it seems like we're doing the same old thing the fight game always does, which is we had this old guy who used to do this thing and he can't really do the thing anymore, but he's still going to try to do the thing. Let's put him up against the young guy who we want to become a thing and who does that thing also, but does it way better than the old guy can now. And, like, let's use him to, like, burnish this other guy's credentials. It seems like that's exactly the plan and it is obvious from down the street. You can see that that's what the thinking is here.
0: If nothing else, perhaps we have discovered the difference between how we see Anderson Silva And how Anderson Silva sees Anderson Silva. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does, yeah. Well, you're the best
1: in the world for years, if you're Anderson Silva. people People are looking at you like you're magic. You're a goddamn Jedi out there doing all kinds of crazy shit to people. And then you fall off a little bit. You have a couple losses. But you still feel like the same guy. You know, the same way everybody kind of still feels like this person that they were. Like, those people aren't replaced you just like build on top of that it must be really hard for him to sit down and be like hey listen you you can't do it like you used to do it anymore and so you need to approach your career in an entirely different way like stop thinking about
0: trying to be the best because it's not going to happen for you anymore can you imagine him having that conversation with himself no but again we're circling around to the conversation that we imagine so often where if you're Anderson Silva and they call you up and they say, hey, man, thunk, there goes another dart. <laughs> we're thinking...
1: Who, Whose picture is on the dartboard, by the way, in this, in this <laughs> scenario? Scotty
0: Kochs at this point, right? <laughs> hey, man, we're thinking, I don't know, kicking around ideas here at the office. Maybe you fight Israel of Adesanya. Now, if you're Anderson Silva and you hear that, do you think... They want me to fight Israel Adesanya because they think that I'm awesome and I'm going to win. It's like getting the call to fight Aaron Pico in many ways, right? Right. Well, it assumes though that he's capable of stepping outside
1: the situation and looking at it like with a the context of how do fight promoters think? How does the UFC usually do these things? Like applying the way it normally works to the way you understand it to work for you which are probably two separate things for him. He could probably look at people in another division and be like, they put that fight together because they're expecting that that young guy to make his name off of you. He could, he's probably capable of doing that. He's been in this game long enough has seen how it works. But when it comes to him, he probably still thinks of himself as exceptional because how would you not after being exceptional for so long? Like how would you make that transition to being like nobody else looks at you that way anymore? And they're doing a different kind of math. Right. I think it would be really tough to do.
0: I, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think Anderson Silva might have some recent evidence that he could look at that might clue him in to what is happening here to the order of a 1-4-1 and one record in his last six fights.
1: Probably I, feels like he should have won that Bisping fight, but okay.
0: At the same time, though, like I think you're right. Like I think... Just psychologically, like we were talking about with Jose Aldo earlier, it might be hard to uh, to kind of realize that, that you have phased into a new role. On the other hand, like, are we not giving Anderson Silva enough credit? Is any part of this, like, clearly the guy's a gamer. He's a lifelong athlete. He was the best in the world for years and years. I'm sure that he expects to go out there and beat Israel Adesanya. Is any part of him at this point acknowledging a passing of the torch?
1: No. I don't think so. Why would you take it if you thought that that's what was going to happen?
0: I'm, so I'm saying I don't know why he took it, man. If they, if I'm Anderson Silva and they call me up and they offer me Israel Adesanya, I'm tapping my, my the side of my head and I'm doing a finger wag, like a professional wrestling heel. <laughs> I'm saying, no, no, no. You can't put one over on this old dog. Okay, I've been around too long. I remember when you did this shit for me. <laughs> I remember when you had me fight Chris Liebman and then had me fight Rich Franklin twice. I know how this shit works.
1: Okay, Imagine a broader context of the conversation though. Say they have already called you up. Say you've already heard the thunk on the other end of the line a couple of weeks ago and it was them offering you, you know, Uel Romero or something. And you were like, "Why would I fight Uel Romero right now? Like would that get me a title shot?" Or maybe they offered you something like easier. Maybe they offered you somebody just like way down in the rankings where where they were like, "This is somebody is pretty beatable for you." And you were like, okay, but then what? And they were like, then you fight somebody a little better than that. Or, or then we find like some interesting matchup. Maybe they offered him one of those Legends Tour matchups kind of thing. And he's kind of was like, but what's the big picture? And they couldn't give him a vision of the big picture that he liked enough. And he said, call me back when you got something real because I'm in this to be the best. And all right, they hung up the phone. A couple weeks later, call back. Izzy Arasanya, winner gets the title shot are you in, are you out? Like, this is what you asked for.
0: Yeah. And I guess from a, a perspective of the old veteran who's been through everything, maybe you feel like Israel Adesanya is kind of an interesting puzzle, especially considering Anderson Silva's skill set. And uh, Maybe that's why you you take this, maybe from a like a purely martial arts slash athletic perspective. This is well, a nice challenge for you if you're a 43-year-old version of Anderson Silva.
1: Yeah, to show that like, hey, I'm still the better me of all the possible me's. Yeah. Like you haven't found a replacement for Anderson Silva.
0: If it was John Jones, though, I think we know that he would, th- he would understand what was happening and he, was, he would immediately be like, everybody in the world thinks Israel Adesanya is going to beat me and now I'm going to do this like uh, me against the world thing where I go out there and triumph over all this adversity do we think of something completely different for Anderson Silva? Just like in terms of a competitor, sounds like within the parameters of this discussion that we've had so far, it sounds like we're not even acknowledging the idea that that door is open in his mind.
1: Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it always has been a little tougher to figure out how the inner workings of Anderson Silva's mind operate. I don't know that we've gotten a clear enough view to know. I just probably think that he is telling himself that we've written him off too soon yeah that he's still the guy he always was and still can be that guy and we just don't know it we we abandoned ship because we saw a couple losses
0: all right israel adesanya four and oh in the ufc wins over rob wilkinson marvin vittori brad devaris and Derek brunson previous to coming to the ufc his biggest win was over melvin Gillard. Is there a chance that he's not ready? Like, we look, every you look at the guy, it looks like he's got every tool, he's got every skill. Not all of his fights have been uh, barn burners, but I think that that just goes uh, to speak to our expectations of what we think Israel Adesanya is capable of at this point. Do we walk away from this thing being like the old man had one more in him and Israel Adesanya just was not ready for this level of, of MMA competition?
1: I would say, of course, that's possible, Chad. <laughs> But I just think, style-wise, this is tailor-made for Israel Adesanya. Yeah. Because I think that there are, I think there are middleweights out there who are far less heralded than Anderson Silva, who just because of their fighting style and their strengths, could go out there right now and make uh, Israel Adesanya look bad. Like, I think that there are those guys out there. And I think the UFC knows who they are, and I think the UFC is going to avoid them. Because you go back to like that Marvin Vittori fight. And that was one, he honestly could have lost that one. Like, the judges could have gone the other way on that one, and it would not have been a huge, like, robbery. Um, Then the Brad Tavares one, he just did an absolute dismantling of Brad bars, who somehow managed to make it five rounds. Uh, that was impressive. And then the Derek Brunson one is a guy going out there trying to be like, I know what, I will not make the mistake of these other people and standing there in front of him and letting him mesmerize me. And I'll just dive right at him and try to take him down. And I'll immediately try to exploit that. And you'll see what happened there. I think that there's still those guys out there who could exploit some of the holes in his game. But a 43 year old Anderson Silva is not that guy. I just think that like, the things he will try to do, he doesn't have the speed and the reflexes to do anymore. And I think you can't, you can't do all those Anderson Silva tricks to a guy like Israel Adesanya when you don't have like that absolute, like, cutting edge kind of uh, efficiency and that speed and that ability that he used to have. Like, once those things fade, what are you relying on here to beat Israel Adesanya? Like, just ring generalship? Yeah. Because I don't know that's enough.
0: Yes or no, is this a number one contender fight for, for both these guys? Does Israel Adesanya tumble into a fight with Robert Whittaker if he, if he beats Anderson Silva?
1: Yes, okay, I think so. Because I think, especially if he goes out there and he finishes Anderson Silva and does something crazy to him. And they're on the same card. He and Bobby Knuckles are on the same card. They're just painted like in sharp relief right there so that everybody can see it. I mean, you probably put this card together this way. And one uh, reason, because you want to have a backup in case something happens to somebody in the title fight, right? Yeah. So I think the UFC already thinks that that's not out of the realm of possibility, that Israel Asanya is headed for a title shot.
0: Either way, now that we have talked it through and through, I feel like you come out of this thing with a middleweight title fight that we will watch. Yeah. So good for you matchmakers. I hope you're proud of yourselves. <laughs> look
1: at the, the look on your face here. You just, it's just embittered, and uh, you... you you, you act like you're not going to sit down and get hyped to no, see these two fights. I
0: am. I am. And I'm not even like an Anderson Silva Mark. And yet somehow I come out of this conversation like feeling like a, uh, I should advocate for the guy in some way. He should advocate it for himself. Yeah. Is what I come away thinking. All right. Joint, uh, just saying stuff this week, Ben. We both. I can't. This is what it says in my notes right here. <laughs> it says, Henry Cejudo contemplative drone shot video contemplative? Was he really contemplating things? And in some ways he's sitting on that rock He's like flexing and shadowboxing Sure, that's there. The but music, he's singing along with the music. It, it start. The video starts with him staring off into the horizon The thing that is most baffling to me is that the video like if you're
1: like, what is the video meant to like promote or convey? It's him saying goodbye to Brazil after yeah. being there for a few days. Yeah. And he's going off to Australia now yep. for this fight card like just as a kind of spectator Hold on
0: though Saying that this video is meant to convey something, I feel like, is already puts us on specious ground. I mean, but I understand how it is. Like, you got the drone for Christmas.
1: And you were like, oh, thank you. Like, this is going to be great. I'll figure out, like, how to, like, make it shoot videos. And it'll really open things up for me. But, like, you didn't do that right away. I mean, the first thing you did is you fucked around with it in the backyard. It turned The controls turned out to be harder than you
0: thought. Probably just got it repaired because after you crashed it into right. a palm tree, you had to get the, one of the propellers fixed. You got the YouTube,
1: like, how-to video open in a tab about how to, you know, record video using your drone and then how to edit it. And, like, it's been sitting in the tab, but you've been busy. Yeah, you had stuff to do. And then, you know, at sometime end of January, you actually figure that shit out. And, you know, now you can make those videos, those drone videos, whatever you want. You're so excited. Yeah. You just, you can't wait to get it out of the box and really go to town. And maybe you see opportunities where those opportunities don't exist.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess this week I'm just saying it feels like Henry Cejudo is doing all the right stuff. And yet somehow there's something a little off about it.
1: I'm just saying that between the snake thing and now this thing, maybe Henry Cejudo's thing becomes that he is the cringy, self-promotional hype guy. I mean, it does seem
0: like that's where we're going. I There are worse gimmicks. I guess so. I guess there are. I feel like both the snake thing and the drone shot video on paper sound good. And I, in practice, something off about it, man. I think that
1: maybe there's a... There's something broken in the brainstorming process. Like whatever's happening in the writer's room. We're missing a step. With Henry Cejudo's team. We're missing
0: an important step somewhere. There's an
1: editor. There's an editor position that's not being filled in the Henry Cejudo team. Just saying.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. we got some exciting stuff coming up to our Patreon Uh, starting this week. Ben, tell the kids about what's going to happen with the live chats and road agents Starting on Wednesday, right? That's right.
1: Wednesday, we're going to do our first live chat via our Patreon. Uh, and what what are we going to do that? What, what's our time do we say for that? 11.30? 1130.
0: 11.30 in the morning on 11, Wednesday? Standard in Standard time? On,
1: on the, when, the one true time zone. So 11.30 here would be like 10.30 Pacific time and what is it? 1.30 Eastern time. For those of you who want to join in a live chat, uh, that will be up on our, our Patreon. And then... The first episode of Road Agents comes out later this week. Jed, I'm super excited. I just finished watching the first two episodes of Deadwood. I got a lot of notes, man. I'm sure you do. I got a lot of notes. Like, if you think that we're going to have a conversation about the HBO TV show Deadwood and we're not going to get in to the first and second Fort Laramie treaties that set up the historical context for this whole show... You're fucking dead wrong, my man.
0: I know that you got a lot of historical notes and I just think we got to get all those butterflies to fly in formation, and then we'll be <laughs> we'll be good to go. Now, at, if you want to take part at home, we're going to be talking about the two first two episodes of Deadwood. If you watched them already and you want to send us any thoughts, please go ahead and do that via how you would just normally email the podcast. Maybe we'll have a little listener mail segment on there. That again is available for top-tier patrons over at the Patreon. If you want to get in touch with that, go to uh, patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up. Uh, it's, it's... business is about to pick up.
1: Yeah, I'm excited.
0: As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. See, the first Fort
1: Laramie Treaty, Chad, uh was nowhere near as uh, aggressive on the part of the federal government. Okay. Uh, sought more to regulate how the Indian tribes in the area would interact with one another. Uh, did not go so great I don't know if you know this About the history of treaties Between Native Americans And the United States Federal government uh-huh. They didn't all work out Oh,
0: okay Yeah
1: uh, There were there was a time or two It seems When the U.S. federal government Did not uphold its end
0: Okay, yeah I'm surprised to hear that yeah, Normally I, I would I expect know. Everything to be above board Yeah Especially with the treatment Of indigenous peoples Yeah You got some, some surprises coming. Okay Let's say that Yeah, wow Now, now I'm uh, looking forward To watching this show Now I'm ready to <laughs> go.